Welcome everyone to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I am really excited for today's episode. I am sitting here with Nick Rogel, who is a friend of mine and former colleague. Hello, Nick. Hi. Hi. I'm excited I'm that so you're excited here. I'm so excited to be here. So I want to introduce Nick to you all first. And I also want to say that Nick and I will be talking with each other more in depth I think what is at the end of this month, maybe the end of March, where I'm going to be interviewing Nick and getting to know him on a deeper level, him as a therapist, a person, his specialties, all those things. So uh, for today, Nick and I will be going through the episodes numbers three and four of the show Shrinking on Apple. I thought it would be fun to sit here with you, Nick, as a, another therapist and yeah, just kind of go through the details of these episodes because I know for me watching this show, it's hilarious <laughs> and it brings up stuff within me, I think as a therapist, but also as a client myself, you know, just watching the show and seeing how they portray therapy and being a therapist. Yeah, no, I agree. And you introduced me to the show. I have been, as I've been watching it, I have been wanting to talk with other therapists about it because I just, I have a lot of thoughts and also it's a hilarious show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so good. But yeah, so I'm really excited to sit here with you as two therapists and walk through these two episodes. So yes, but first, before we do that, let me, let me introduce you to the listeners more formally, I guess. So Nick, you are a licensed professional clinical counselor, and you are working right now in your own private practice called Wellness in Mind Therapy, yep. and you are licensed to practice in the state of Kentucky and Ohio, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you specialize in sport and performance psychology. That's me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, when, when I interview Nick later on this month, We'll get more in depth into that specialty, into sports and performance and all of that. Cause yeah, I think that's so fascinating and so I'm, interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about it. And I'll put uh, Nick's private practice website link in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in learning more about Nick already, then head that way. But I'll tell you right now, it's wellnessinmindtherapy.com. But go to the show notes for an easy click for that link. All right. Oh, and I also want to share with people how I guess I, I know you. Oh, yeah. So Nick and I used to work with each other at Eastern Kentucky University's Counseling Center. I was working there starting in 2011. You started in, was it 2015? It's, uh, the very end of 2015. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I still remember my interview. <laughs> I remember you being there and specifically it i think it was like a case presentation feeling like cause I, I didn't know your name at the time but i remember thinking i don't think she wants to be here <laughs> really uh no i don't think that's i don't think that's <laughs> that you didn't want to be there i think it was the end of a long day and it, and everybody <laughs> wanted to leave anyways <laughs> oh my gosh that's hilarious uh, <laughs> was it like a look i was giving was i or was i like doodling <laughs> Honestly, the whole day, I replayed that whole day in my mind so many times and there was so much anxiety 
for me that I think I was just reading people's faces and putting thoughts in their heads. So that's probably <laughs> what it was, honestly. Okay. Because I'll be honest, I don't remember that day when Good. we interviewed you. <laughs> so maybe I was elsewhere in my mind. I don't know what was going on <laughs> for me during maybe personally. I don't really know what I remember. And this is funny. I remember the phone interview with you because oh, no. remember, remember it was like we would do like a phone interview first <laughs> and then we would invite someone to come in person. Right. Mm -hmm. So I remember our phone interview with you and I remember at the end of the conversation and I think with HR, you're not supposed to like add different questions, right? Like you're supposed to like follow the script of questions with every interviewee to make it equal. Well, I don't think I knew that at the time. And, you know, at the time I was like, how old was I in 2015? I don't know. I was in my 20s. Was I? Yeah, I think so. Maybe early 30s. I can't remember. But I didn't know. And I was just feeling it. And <laughs> and and I, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember I asked you a question? And I said, because somehow we got on the topic of Netflix. And I said, what's your favorite Netflix show? Oh, what did I say? I don't remember that at all. I don't remember. I just remember the look I got <laughs> from... <laughs> From the director and the assistant director at the time that was like, oh. that was like, uh, n no, like you can't ask that. And I was like, oh, uh, never mind. Did I answer or you don't remember if I did? You did answer, but I don't remember what you said. I just remember that moment of being like, oh, whoops. Sorry. Wasn't supposed to ask you that. I mean, it's a good interview question though. You get a, like, there's, there's a vibe yeah. that you get from people of well, what's your go-to. Yeah, like what you're watching on Netflix right now. Yeah, so that's what I remember from our interview with you. It's funny because I don't remember that, and I'm glad that you don't remember <laughs> when I was on campus. No, yeah, and I'm sorry that you got the vibe from me that I didn't want to be there. Cause I normally okay, I really... got the job. So. Yeah, you got you got the job. Yeah, so yeah, so we ended up working together as therapists at the counseling center for I guess like what five years. Five years. I can't believe it was five years. It feels like yeah. it went by really quickly. I feel like I grew up at EKU. It, that was because that was my first job out of college, out of yeah. grad school. Um, but yeah, it, it it was a long time, and it went by really fast at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to reflect back on it because it was definitely a big growing. It was a huge growing experience for me as well, both personally and professionally. And so, yeah, we worked there together and then I left there May 2021. And then you left pretty soon after me. June. Yeah. Beginning of June. Yeah. Okay. So it was like right after me. Yeah. Yeah. And then we both moved from Lexington. I've just kind of been following you this whole time. Yeah. And yeah, now I live in Northern Kentucky and you live in Cincinnati, but we're just right across the river from each other. Yeah. Now we're both in private practice. Which is, yeah. Which is really exciting. <laughs> and here we are here we sitting are. doing a podcast. <laughs> you ready to go through these episodes. Let's, yeah, let's jump in. Numbers three and four of shrinking on Apple TV. Okay. So the very first scene on episode number three 
is we see one of Jimmy's clients on a date. He's on a date with a woman and they're in a restaurant. It's clear that the client kind of looks uncomfortable, I would say, maybe like he's blended with parts of him that are trying to make him appear to be something that he's not. And the person that he's on a date with can feel that because it seems like she's uncomfortable. She leaves the table to go to the bathroom. And then Jimmy shows up and just sits in the chair where his date was sitting and clearly just starts giving him feedback in regards to how he feels like the date is going. And it's clear that the client of Jimmy had no idea that Jimmy was there spying on him as he's on this date. So Jimmy gives the client feedback. The client basically tells him to F off. And then Jimmy runs off and just says, be yourself. (laughs) What are your thoughts on this? I wanted to ask you the same thing because, (laughs) okay, telling a client that they're full of shit because that's, that's. What Is that what him. he said? Okay. I think so. I, okay. Yeah. I'm curious from an IFS standpoint. Uh-huh. How do you call clients out? Mm, do you oh, call clients a, out? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a really good question. I guess what comes up for me as you ask that is the way I would word it as an IFS therapist would be like, I'm trying to put myself like in Jimmy's shoes right now in that situation. <laughs> Is I would, or like, if if that client was in my office and the client was giving me that, if they were being honest, right, about like what they were saying Uh on the date, which, right, we can only go with what people tell us because we're not observing them, right? Like Jimmy was. So let's say the client's sharing with me, yeah, I said this and I said that. And I might be like, okay, so it sounds like, would you say maybe there was a part of you that was activated during the date that maybe wanted you to appear a certain way to this person. Was there a part of you that was maybe fearful that if you were honest with her about how you were really feeling that she would reject you, you know? Yeah. That's much more gentle than me. (laughs) How would you do it, Nick? (laughs) Well, yeah. Because he, he, yeah, I asked that question and I'm not prepared to, to answer it. <laughs> no, but I guess it depends on like the level of rapport. Yeah. But when it has, when it comes up, I, one of the things just to diffuse any like defensiveness, something that I'll often say is in, in here, only one of us can be wrong. And it's, it's me. I can make mistakes. Mm. Um, I'll usually say that in like one of the first sessions. And then if, if I have to, if it comes to the point where I feel like, I feel like you're lying right now or mm. you're, or something's going on that just doesn't make sense. That's how I'll approach it is like, yeah, prove me wrong, but this doesn't make sense to me. Like what, yeah. what's going on there. And then also checking in afterwards of like, mm-hmm. what was that like? Was it okay? It's, it's the whole Tell them you're going to ask a question, ask the question. And then how was it when I asked that question for yeah. you to make sure that um, it didn't, didn't rub them the wrong way? But I do think it, it's helpful to call it out when you see it rather than just kind of mm-hmm. go with this thing if this is what the problem is in, in right. like their presenting issue. Yeah, totally. It's like, well, if you're here to help the person, then yeah, providing them some of that feedback could be really helpful. 
And I think, right, like the level of rapport is also important when you are giving feedback to a client, but also with anyone, right? Whether it's a stranger, a colleague, a friend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what are your thoughts on the fact that though Jimmy was spying on this client while he was on a date, just that, (laughs) what are your thoughts on that? His, I mean, there's so many, Jimmy's boundaries are wild. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody has talked about reporting him to his board <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that's the thing. Like, I, I'm surprised it hasn't even been mentioned. Uh, because if when I see somebody out in public, the the rule that I follow is they can say hi to me. And if they do, cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going? What's up? I'm not going to make the first move for sure. That's that's the right. confidentiality piece. Yeah. What would, what about you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly right. It's, you know, and I think especially like when we were working at a university, you know, you're on a campus. So all of our clients were students and the odds of us running into them at different events or like you would go play basketball, right? Like sometimes on breaks and, and it's like, you're going to run into people. Yeah. And so I would. I remember like I would even now, like with clients that I see now, sometimes it's like, hey, like, I just want to let you know, like, if we do run into each other in public, I can't address you first, which is so awkward. You know, I know it's weird. (laughs) It's weird for us as the therapists, like to act like we don't know you if you're one of our clients, but it's for the protection of the client. Right. Because like you said, it's confidentiality. And if the client wants to break that wall. I kind of view it as like a wall, right? Like this like invisible wall. Then that's fine. You know, cause that's, an, that's their control of their confidentiality, you know? So like you said, it's like letting the client know, like if we see each other out, I'm not going to address you first, but you have every right to address me and then I can address you, you know? So yes, Jimmy breaks <laughs> hardcore. Yeah. The confidentiality rule here of, uh, yeah, you don't do that with a therapist client relationship. Right. And what's interesting, well, I feel like this is a good thing is at, at, like at EKU, cause yeah, it's a small city basically. And mm-hmm. you, you walk from one side of campus to the other side of campus, you're going to run into current or past client probably. So many clients were so outspoken. Uh, hey, Nick, like from across the way. Yeah. Um, not everybody, which is fine, but uh, just like normalizing it and being like, like telling that's my therapist that just walked by. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought I was like, it made me feel good that they were yeah. just so outspoken and it was this normal thing, which it should be. Yeah. And like you said, though, it's also totally okay for people not to address us. Yeah as their therapist. And I've had that happen a number of times too, where it's just this unspoken thing and you just have total respect for that. Like that is totally okay. You know, you do not have to say hi. (laughs) You do. I mean, I'll say like, sometimes I'll do like, if it's like a pass by thing where it's like, it would sometimes be like, you know, I'd be walking on the sidewalk and then they'd be walking towards me and maybe they were with a friend or something. I might give like my normal smile that I would give to strangers in general, you know, But I wouldn't be like, hey, how you doing? You know, 
Good yeah. to see you. Unless oh, they yeah. did it first. <laughs> yeah. You just follow their lead. It's. Yep. Follow their lead. Yeah. Don't so, be yeah. Suspicious. So suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jimmy in this scene, uh, yeah, he breaks that confidentiality big time. Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, so Jimmy then runs off, uh, you know, after giving his client this feedback while on the date, the client clearly it appears that the client's like uncomfortable with what just happened and I think tells him to F off. And, <laughs> and then when his date sits back down, it's back down it looks like in that moment for that for that client something shifts in him it sounds like appears like maybe some of those protector parts give space and then he looks at her i think and he says like i cried four times today yeah (laughs) and then she's like oh you know and then we don't see what happens after that but it was clear that like what jimmy said even though it was inappropriate Uh and unethical it did shift something within the client in that moment. And he was more vulnerable. Yeah. Just went from one extreme to the other, but it looks like it worked out. Yeah. So then it moves on to, we see Jimmy's client, Sean, he's still living in the house with Jimmy, which is a whole, whole thing in itself. (laughs) Um, Sean's still there in the house and Liz, the neighbor expresses some concern that he's living there. And then we also get a taste of their other neighbor, Pam, who <laughs> appears to be a racist because <laughs> Sean is a African-American male and is at one point in the scene going through the trash can because he accidentally threw something away that was really, you know, meant a lot to Alice, Jimmy's daughter. And um, Pam comes out blended with her racist parts and then, yeah, kind of makes a scene and we see that jimmy and liz people don't like pam (laughs) yeah this is she's not a nice person my favorite character in this whole show is Derek, liz's husband yes because it's such he's he serves no purpose except for just randomly popping in and saying funny stuff and my favorite line (laughs) it's when he's like oh eat a dick pam and then (laughs) just draws away (laughs) Yes, he throws out there just the most random one-liners and then just walks off. No purpose. And you're <laughs> like, oh, okay, <laughs> great. I didn't even write, I, I haven't even taken in what his name was. You said his name is Derek. <laughs> I, yeah, I have on my other screen right here, I have all the characters' faces and then their names underneath it. Oh, smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, very Derek. smart. Okay, yes, yeah, so... He's great with his one-liners, but yeah, we, we get to see that Sean's still living in Jimmy's house. And then we see Jimmy out hiking with his friend, Brian, who's the lawyer and they see Grace's husband. And if you remember, Grace is the client of Jimmy's that he told in session, you have to leave your husband or I'll stop being your therapist. Uh, and so, yeah, so Jimmy is seeing Grace's husband who she presumably presumably has left and you know now she's living in vancouver uh and it's clear that this guy obviously doesn't like jimmy he gives them dirty looks and they just kind of try to avoid each other and then we see paul at the doctor's office and this is where we see that he's talking to his doctor about his diagnosis with parkinson's disease and the doctor asks paul about his emotional health and how he's dealing 
with all of this. And this is where Paul describes a, a technique that parts of me really like. It's the the 15 minute yeah. a day to grieve, you know, exercise. And this is basically where Paul says that he'll put on a sad song and he will just let him self grieve hard for 15 minutes. And he sets a timer on his phone and he'll cry. He'll feel all of that grief. And then when that timer goes off, he stops mm-hmm. and then he just moves about his day. What do you think about that? So, yeah, what came up for me was, I guess, something that I do like about it is that it's like giving permission to access and really feel that grieving part within rather than it being exiled and pushed away, which could then lead over time to like major depressive disorder or complicated bereavement, you know, as we call it. So I felt like it was kind of cool to see just a very easy way to navigate feeling grief, even though I think it is coming from what we would call maybe an IFS, like a kind of a manager-like energy to it, right? Where it's not as fluid, it's more structured, right? It's like, okay, I have 15 minutes and when, when, until that timer comes, you know, goes off, uh-huh. like I am going to really feel this grief. But once that timer goes off, I'm done. Yeah. Paul has that manager energy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Yeah. How, what do you think about I, the, I, the 15 minutes to grieve? I yeah, agree a hundred percent, The like the permission to but permission with a time limit um, is so structured. The, what I'll often see is like, there's these deep, deep, deep emotions that everybody has, but then the very top layer of it, like the top layer of water is I'm not allowed to feel any of these things. Mm. And if you don't give yourself permission or just address that that thing is there, then you can't really get to any of the stuff below it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like it because it just takes away that top, that top layer of you're not allowed to do this. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And IFS, I guess we would say it's inviting the protector parts to step back so that you can really be in contact with maybe a, a more vulnerable part. Like you're saying, like that surface kind of gives gives way, gives space, and then you're able to feel that vulnerability of that sadness and that grief. So Yeah. And I'm I'm the opposite of Paul when it comes to emotions because I and, and well especially with grief I love grief I think grief is like it's it's a act of love you know mm. um, I don't know where I was going with that honestly yeah but I love that was beautiful what you just said grief is an act of love yeah that's really beautiful yeah, yeah. so the fifteen minutes to grieve is what Paul introduces to his doctor and basically we get to see that that's how Paul is inviting that connection within himself in a controlled way. (laughs) Do you notice with Paul, when he feels stuff, music is involved. Oh, like, have you seen that? No, I, I noticed it this episode because there's a 15 minute thing. And then I think it's the very next scene where Gabby picks him up Mm. and he's like, can we listen to that song? (laughs) Yeah. And he's like feeling the song. 
Yes. Like when you see Paul with emotion, there's music. I don't know if that's a thing or if I'm reading into it. No, that's a great observation. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll pay attention to that more now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then it goes into Gabby. She's all excited because she has a new Tesla who she's named Debbie. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's all excited about her Tesla. She's singing her songs alone and she's driving to work in her new, new car. She goes and parks in the therapist parking lot for the, uh, their center where they work. And (laughs) she gets rammed in the back by Paul who's driving his car. So Debbie is now damaged and yeah. And then they're concerned. They then move to the break room where it's Jimmy, Gabby, and Paul. And they start expressing their concerns to Paul about his driving in relation to his Parkinson's and kind of just asking him, you know, questions if he feels like, is it still okay for him to be driving? And you can see where like, I think Paul gets kind of defensive parts of him get defensive and hurt by that, which understandably, you know, and he, you know, mentions that he's passed the driving test multiple times and that there's nothing wrong. And, you know, every time there's a break room scene, I mentioned this in the other episode where I was talking about the episodes one and two, a part of me always gets little nostalgic about break rooms, you know, like our time working at EKU, we had a break room and we had hallways, of course, where like, you know, when we had breaks and time in between sessions, we could consult with each other, you know, as colleagues, we could hang out in the break room together or the conference room together and just kind of chill and just talk about life. And I miss that. Yeah, I do too. I, I, as much as like, there are definitely pieces of this show that are like the boundary thing. Wild. Like not, it's not a thing. I usually not a thing, but the showing therapists as just normal humans Mm-hmm. talking and having their own issues as opposed to the normal like tv character archetype of what a therapist is mm-hmm. just giving weird advice in a room that's has too many windows that people can, can see into you know <laughs> like even even the little detail of gabby's water bottle mm. i had the same water bottle yes. <laughs> i around everywhere yeah um I thought there like there's really nice touches on just showing therapists are normal and they all have different personalities and different right. boundaries, um, different senses of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely felt that with the the break room of yeah, that's where we talk and meet up. Yeah, throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're sharing there. That yeah, it's it's it is. It's a very beautiful. I feel like representation on this show of seeing therapists as people. And they have problems and they have struggles and they have their own emotions and traumas and likes and dislikes and all of that. So, yeah, I I love that you brought that up because that is a great thing that the show brings is humanizing, humanizing therapists. Yeah, because we need like when we go through stuff, we have to be aware of it and protect Mm -hmm. like protect it from showing up in sessions until we're ready to either not know, know that it won't show up in sessions or use it depending on how comfortable you are with um, sharing the information. If it's mm-hmm. you know, obviously at the benefit of the, the, the client, 
but there have definitely been times in my life, even with, with grief where, well, when we were working together, my mom passed away mm-hmm. and not knowing how that was going to show up in sessions with clients was a little scary. Yeah. It was fine. Everything was fine. And I did feel protected, especially by everybody else at the counseling center. Like if somebody shows up with grief, maybe don't send them to Nick, (laughs) which was nice. Mm -hmm. And then it happened. Like Mm -hmm. somebody, I I think I did an intake and that was one of the first intakes I did when I, when I came back was somebody came in and it was, it was grief. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there was nothing I could do, you know, but it was, instead of being really scary, it was actually really, really sweet. Like I felt like, I mean, I, I think I probably got lucky, but I felt like I was better able to connect with them because of what I was currently also going through at the same time. And I didn't yeah. share that with them. But they probably felt that energetically, I'm sure, you know, like from a client, like that client probably sitting with you probably felt that that compassion and understanding yeah. that you were experiencing because you were going through it too. Yeah. Well, how do you navigate that? Like when life happens? Yeah. That's and why you have I a session have... the next day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Right. It's, and this is where I think for me and doing IFS, it's having a relationship, a continued relationship with my parts. Because if I don't know the parts of me, then it can be very easy for me to get what we call blended with a part energy, right? And then that can have a negative impact when I'm in a session with someone. So go ahead. so, yeah, so it would be like, you know, this is where, yeah, I love IFS work because they're in the trainings in IFS, they're very much like, Yes, we'll teach you the model of IFS, right? Of how to guide a client and getting to know their parts and then help unburden an exiled one. But it's also so much about getting to know the parts of the person that is the therapist. Because like I said, once you get to know the parts of you, you then kind of know who you are, which is this like radical idea of like, who am I? And it's like, we can get to know all these different parts of us and we can befriend them. We can help the ones that are stuck in extreme roles or that get triggered or activated. And even like in session, you know, sometimes a part within me can get triggered or can get activated. And then that's on me, right? Like to bring awareness to that. How do I feel that part activating? Like, is it a physical sensation in my body? Is it a feeling that I'm getting? Is it feeling of like dissociating away? You know, like I'm not there anymore. I'm not listening to the person as a part of me, like wanting to like get out of there or any of that. Right. So it's like, I can bring awareness and attention to whatever's coming up within me as a part. And in a session, I don't have time to be like, Oh, hold on. Let me take 60 minutes of your time and like do my own work. It has to be this balance of, okay, maybe the person's talking and like internally I take a moment to like do some self dialogue with that part and being like, I feel you and it's okay. And can you give me some space right now? I'll come back to you. I'll say that, you know, within my mind to that part of like, I'm aware of you and I'm going to make a point to come back to you. 
And, but I will say this, sometimes I've been in sessions where a part within me comes up and I will say to the client, like, I want to take a moment and acknowledge that there's this part within me getting activated. And if it's okay with you, I just want to take a moment and pause and see if that part will give me space. I've done that in sessions because, and I would say that that honestly can lead to a deeper connection with the client because then the client's like, wow, thank you for speaking about that. Because again, I feel like sometimes as therapists, there's this feeling of like, we need to be the blank slate or we need to be the expert all the time. Or, and it's like, if we can acknowledge when it feels appropriate, right? Like if we can acknowledge like what's coming up within us, or if I, like I may may say something like from a part of me that got activated and then I'm like, whoa, hold on. That just came out from a part of me. And I just want to take a moment and see what that was about. And I'll say that out loud, you know, like to the client in session. And then it could lead to me maybe having to do a repair and apologize. And be like, that came from a part of me and I want to apologize, you know, for saying what I said or, you know, if, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Is it, is there a, like, I, w- I'm imagining the part of you that, that feels that it's not the same emotion that they're feeling too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it can be because sometimes oh. what's activating in us as the therapist is maybe what the client is feeling. So that's where it can get interesting, right? Because it could be like, maybe you're sitting with someone and they're blended with a lot of anxious energy and then you start feeling anxious. And then that could be again, like taking a moment to pause within yourself and ask like, is this a part of me or is this maybe parts of me getting activated, I guess, based on the energy that they're receiving. And then that can be cool feedback, you know, to offer in the session of like, you know, I'm wondering if you're feeling, I'm I'm wondering what you're feeling right now, you know, are parts of you feeling anxious or are parts of you feeling, I don't know, activated in some way? Yeah. Giving them I mean, it's, it's, you're normalizing the emotion. Like this is a normal feeling that I'm feeling while from your words, is that what you're feeling too? Yeah. Um, I'll do that, especially like as with male clients as a male and not just male clients. Um, like there are so many people that just, we aren't taught emotions. Like Mm -hmm. you're allowed to feel what you're feeling. Um, except for the safe ones, like angry, happy, hungry, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so calling it out because I've, I've done that where this is what I'm experiencing as you're talking about what you've been through. And it's usually pretty strong. Like I, I can locate it and just offering that as either, it, either that is what they're feeling or it's not. But even if it's not, then mm-hmm. they get to clarify, well, actually, no, this is what I'm feeling. Right. Um, because there is that, that top layer again of, I'm not allowed to feel these things. And it's just, no, but you are, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. And again, I think it, 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 yeah, like you said, it helps to clarify, which I think brings deeper connection and yeah, just feeling that compassion towards what 
each person is experiencing, which is that self energy that they talk about in IFS, which is that that's the healing energy within, you know, is that compassion, that connection, that clarity, that curiosity, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So now let's see. So they were in the break room and then we see Alice and Paul, which I think their connection is interesting too. Like clearly they're a support for each other, but it's Alice and Paul sitting at a park bench and she's expressing to Paul about her struggles with irritability and grief. And Paul shares with her about that 15 minute grief exercise. And again, yeah, I just, I think that their relationship, I think they're, yeah, definitely a support for each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a, just because it's a show, there's, there's like enmeshment just all over the place. (laughs) Lots of enmeshment. (laughs) Yeah. But also, isn't he like her godfather or am I not, is that wrong? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember that being mentioned, but it could have been. Good chance I made it up. That's the type of relationship that they have. Right. The mentor. I feel like we might learn more as the season goes on about Uh, the connection. Spoiler, because I did watch ahead, so maybe. (gasps) Okay. (laughs) Don't say anything. (laughs) Okay. So then it was like a quick scene where Jimmy, I think, is at a gas station and he sees his friend and coworker Gabby kissing another person that's not her husband. And so there was a scene earlier that we didn't really mention where it was Gabby in her home with her husband, who's not the man that she's kissing at the gas station. And so Jimmy clearly looks shocked and surprised and he's trying not to be seen and to not let her know that he sees her kissing this other person. So then we get to Liz, the neighbor again, And she lets Jimmy know that she's going to butt out of his life, that she's going to give him some space. Uh, And Jimmy says he doesn't believe her (laughs) Uh, because, yeah, it just appears that, you know, Liz, I think, has a lot of caretaker parts. And I think she really enjoys taking care of people. And with what, you know, Jimmy and Alice had been going through with, you know, the death of Jimmy's wife, Alice's mom, you know, that she had to step in. She had to step in for a long time, but yeah. So she's, she lets Jimmy know that she'd like, she's, she's willing to give some space, but he doesn't believe her. Right. So then we get to Paul's back at the doctor's office and we see him asking his doctor doctor so that he could take another driving test again. So we see that, uh, but we don't know the results of it yet. And then Jimmy, is out and about one evening with Gabby and his friend, Brian. They're out having drinks. There's cornhole. They're eating food. And this is where Jimmy confronts Gabby about her kissing this other person. And this is where Gabby shares with Jimmy and then eventually Brian that um, she's getting a divorce. And I guess they've been, you know, separated for a little while and, uh, that it's close to being finalized basically. And then she also shares about her husband's struggle with, I think, addiction to alcohol and his sobriety struggle. And then she shares that, you know, parts of herself feel relieved about this divorce. Yeah. Yeah. 
and which is normal, right? Right? Like, yeah. they, like there's the stigma on grief and feelings, even though it's not a bad thing. And then the same thing with divorce. Like, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I thought that was a a nice conversation between the three of them. And so they have a nice evening, and uh, then Jimmy comes home. And he finds his daughter sobbing in her bedroom while listening to an intense, an intensely sad song uh, on the speakers. And you can tell that he's like, um, <laughs> should I, should I knock? Should I interrupt this? And right as he's about to knock, you hear her timer go off and you realize that she's doing Paul's 15 minutes of grieving exercise. So her timer goes off. She immediately stops crying. She turns off the music and then Jimmy knocks and uh, yeah, she shares with him what she was doing. Yeah. Then they end up having dinner together, which, you know, if you've watched the first two episodes, you know that that's been something for, I guess that's been a struggle for them over the past year and a half since the passing of his wife, her mom, that they weren't really connecting And so Jimmy, I think, makes a pizza for himself and he's sitting there eating in the kitchen. And then Alice comes in and, uh, yeah, sits down with them and wants to have dinner. And you could see parts within Jimmy feel really surprised and excited and happy. Yeah, that's uh, for me, that brings up the just the fear of what do you do? I don't have any kids, but. If and when that happens, like when they don't like me (laughs) and I would just want to force my love on them. Like how (laughs) do you think about that? Yes, absolutely. I have a three-year-old son who at this point in his development, I, I think this is like a game for him now um, because he sees how much it impacts me, but I will say, I love you. And he'll go, and I love dad. Oh, no. <laughs> and my husband thinks it's hilarious. So I think that reinforces it. Yeah. You know, um, but yes, I can totally understand. Right. But also this, tiny dagger every single yes. time. Well, there's this part as a parent that's just like, oh, I love you so much. And please love me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, please like spend time with me or, uh-huh. and he's only three. So I can't imagine having a teenager. And especially what they just went through, right? And then we'll get to more about like what it was, what was happening for Jimmy in the sense of maybe him not being able to be present with his daughter, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so she had protector parts up, right? Rightfully so with her dad and why she was not spending time with him and connecting with him maybe in the way that all of a sudden he's open to now. And so we can see, I feel like in that scene, her protector parts may be starting to get more space mm-hmm. and her being more open and willing to be with her dad Yeah, and to sit there and eat pizza. Yeah. That was a sweet scene. Yeah, it. it really was. So then we get to Jimmy's in his office on a telehealth call with his client, Grace. <laughs> and... This is where I thought this was interesting. She, I think, says the words. I don't know if she said a part, but she said her people pleasing. Like she talks about how she has this tendency to people please. 
and how, but she does say, you know, that she's grateful for Jimmy for making her leave her husband, that, you know, she's having a great time in Vancouver with her sister and, you know, Jimmy's feeling great about this situation, feeling like he did the right thing by telling her what he did in regards to, you know, her husband. But yeah, so I thought that was interesting that like she addresses this part of her that wants to people please, which then got me kind of thinking like, hmm, interesting. Right. So how is this going to play in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just all the different reasons why therapists don't give advice. Like, yeah. <laughs> you see all the reasons why, all the different ways that it could play out. And it's just, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So then we see Gabby. Gabby lets Jimmy know about the fact that she wants to have like a divorce party like later that day. And I felt like this gets into then an interesting thing with Jimmy because it clearly activates parts within Jimmy about the fact that Gabby is like wanting to celebrate this loss. Right. And so then Jimmy goes into Paul's office. Jimmy's mad about the fact that Gabby's happy. Yeah. Happy about this loss. And this is where I think Paul, I really like this scene where Paul basically confronts Jimmy about the fact that he's been numbing his grief for a year. Cause I think he says something cause Paul was like, so you're mad about the fact that Gabby is happy, but not grieving like you had to be or something like that in that context. And, and Jimmy says something like, I've been grieving for over a year. And Paul says, no, you haven't. Right. You haven't been grieving. You've been numbing and you've been distracting yourself from the grief, which in IFS, that would be what we would call maybe like that could be a mixture of manager and firefighter parts. But especially like the the distracting, the numbing could be a firefighter part that's like, nope, nope, we're not going to feel that grief. So we're going to use drugs. We're going to have sex and we're going to abuse alcohol, you know to really cover up from feeling and processing that part of them that's actually grieving. Yeah. I, I love hearing about IFS it just because also I, um, I pull a lot from act acceptance and commitment. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of overlap with all of them. Everything. Like all, yeah. All the approaches <laughs> yeah. you can kind of pick and choose, but it's a similar concept where with, with act the, one of the main ideas is that pain is inevitable. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad thing. It's it's necessary for growth. Like we have to, like pain helps us grow. But when we try to avoid pain, that's that's suffering. And there's mm-hmm. a difference between pain and suffering. And that's what I hear him calling uh, Jimmy out about is like, you haven't been feeling your pain. You've been avoiding it. You've just right. been suffering for the last year. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought it was interesting how Paul then said, and you've replaced those numbing behaviors with now being overly involved in your patient's lives, which is a distractor. It's another distractor. Problematic distractor. Right. (laughs) Like he's getting so involved in his client's lives that again, it's just another way to avoid feeling and processing that grief. Which again, like Paul sees all these things and at no point is he like, maybe I should call (laughs) the, uh, his licensing board, the board. <laughs> say like maybe keep an eye on this guy. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But then that would ruin the whole show. <laughs> yes, that's true. That would ruin the show. So 
maybe that happens down the road. Who knows? We will yeah. see. But then this is where, and I guess, is it, I guess, yeah. So then Paul, Jimmy addresses with Paul, like he knows that he's been talking with Alice because he saw Alice doing the 15 minute grieving thing. He knows that comes from Paul. And Paul was like, well, why don't you try it? And so then this is where we see Jimmy riding his bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> listening on his headphones to a sad intense song and he's just sobbing his eyes out <laughs> as he's riding on his bicycle on the street but he's so intensely grieving and sobbing that moment that he doesn't see that i guess a woman opens a car door and he just runs <laughs> into that car door and uh yeah and yeah like, why Jimmy. are you already crying i know <laughs> she was like how are you already crying <laughs> And he's like, I was already crying. I thought that was oh, that was pretty funny. <laughs> so then we get to Alice and she's hanging out with Sean, I think at the house. And she starts talking about how a part of her feels guilty about smiling and laughing. And that there's this part with this other part within her that basically says you shouldn't be happy. You shouldn't be smiling you should be sad. And I thought this was, again, just kind of a great example of the parts of us that can get activated with grief. Yeah. You know, that we have this sadness, this grief within, but then we can have a part of us that, but we also have parts of us that are happy at the same time. Yeah. And we give like, ourselves rules. Like, like you're not allowed to be seen as happy. Right. You know, I, I I felt that after my mom passed for sure, where if I went out, like I would go play basketball at the gym and friends with all of the guys that I play basketball with on Facebook. So, and I would, I posted on there when she passed. So they, everybody, I just felt like everybody knew whether or not people do, I don't know, but it felt mm -hmm. like that. It felt like all eyes were on me. And I remember I was already sad and I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't, wasn't thinking about it. And I, I just felt like the expectation was, I, I need to feel sad right now. Mm. It is. It, it, so yeah, when whoever wrote, I mean, grief is a thing where everybody's experienced it or they will, you know, Right. but whoever wrote this part of it, it's like, that's a real thing. Like that's yeah. a real rule that, that we give ourselves sometimes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, this feeling, this part within us that's like, I'm only allowed to be grieving or sad right now. I'm not allowed to be smiling in this moment or yeah. happy. And then that's where she says, you know, a part of her then feels guilty because of that part that's shaming that and saying that that happiness is bad. And that's a big conflict, right? I mean, like, that's a big inner conflict to have, which Definitely. then I could see would lead to maybe complications and processing the grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought that yeah. was a really well done scene kind of showing how that can happen. Yeah. I just think that was addressed because that's, I don't know if I've ever seen that on a, on a TV show or a, or a movie with grief of like mm -hmm. the way that you're supposed to be feeling how long it's supposed to last, like these rules that we give ourselves and how confusing it is, but it's like a core piece of the storyline here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So then we see Jimmy, he shows up at Gabby's house because like she sh said in the beginning of the day, she would like to have a divorce party. 
So he shows up to her house and immediately you can see that Gabby's actually very sad and that she also then expresses to Jimmy that she also has parts within her that feel guilty and worried that if she does fully, I guess, officially divorce with her husband, that he'll start to use alcohol again. So she's, you know, I feel like, again, it's like grief can be experienced through death but also through something like divorce. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Right. And it's a loss. And so I feel like it's like a mirror. Like we're seeing like the parts within Alice who's like experiencing the mixture of grief and happiness and then shaming and guilt from the loss of her mom. But then we're also seeing that being represented in Gabby who's going through a loss, like a divorce. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And the way, because this is the scene where Jimmy also was like, I can also be supportive of you. Too, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Where you can kind of wear that different hat and give support, even though it's, you're going through the same. Wait, no, am I thinking about a different scene? <laughs> I think, I think he says that because that's that... also where she shares that. That's where we learn that like she was best friends with his wife. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, then that's the scene I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Because then she is talking about with Jimmy that she she she's appreciative of Jimmy being there with her, but she actually wishes it was his deceased wife, like sitting there with her instead, because yeah. they were such good friends. That was it was a sweet scene for sure. Yeah. So then we get to we see Liz, the neighbor, and she's expressing. Oh, so she runs into Paul, right? So she runs into Paul at the coffee shop and it's clear that they've never really met before, but kind of, I think they went to like a Super Bowl party at Jimmy's house one time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she, Liz, it goes up to Paul at this coffee shop and just starts talking about her concerns about Alice and Sean. And Paul's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then this is where Paul finds out for the first time that Sean is living with Jimmy. <laughs> And you can see in his face that he's like, what? Because this is very unethical, right? Like, you cannot have a client living in your home if you are their therapist. Like, so Paul is angry and angrily calls Jimmy and kind of starts going off on Jimmy about his anger, his frustration, his disappointment. And it was interesting because I was expecting Jimmy to get really defensive. But instead, he was just very calm and he thanked Paul for being there for Alice. And it was like, oh, well, that didn't go the way I was expecting it to go. And then you could yes. see, yeah, you could like see Paul then I think kind of be caught off guard. Yeah. Because I think he was also expecting it to be a fight. Yeah, it was disarming. And then it wasn't. Jimmy was actually very compassionate. And and then I, the Paul was just like, I don't know what to do with this. And he just hangs up. <laughs> which good strategy i mean yeah (laughs) right to just be present with that anger with compassion yeah you know and gratitude (laughs) (laughs) so then jimmy receives a text message from the client that he was spying on in that restaurant and he's and we find out that this client's dating this woman now that he was on the date with and you see in Jimmy, like parts of him that are like, yes, another one. 
<laughs> I am awesome. You know, this is really working. And yeah, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, cool. That's great. Good for him. Yeah. Even <laughs> though, yeah, separating the, it came from him having questionable boundaries and giving advice. Um, right. Yeah. I still connected to like when your clients have those wins, mm-hmm. it's like, man, I need that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yes, this, yeah. yeah. Like, woohoo. And so then we see, yeah, Paul now is getting rides to work with Gabby. And this is where you were saying like the connection yes. with him and music, which yeah, yeah, is, is a really interesting observation because I think we see another, like a part of Paul that is a lot more playful and yeah because he's like play that song that i like (laughs) (laughs) and i didn't write down the song but i knew which one it was when it started playing i don't know did you you write it down it's a third eye blind maybe this is the story of a girl oh was it that one oh no that was maybe when gabby was i thought it was that was when gabby was alone every morning there's a halo that one yes i didn't want to sing but here we are yep (laughs) so yeah so paul's like rocking out having a good time so i thought that was a fun mm-hmm. a fun scene and then we see jimmy he's on a hike and i think he's on the phone is he on the phone with paul i didn't write down he was on the phone with someone i don't remember i don't remember either but he's talking about like he feels great about what he's been doing with his clients he's like this radical way that i'm doing this is working like they're making the biggest shifts that i've ever seen and then <laughs> And then as he's on this hike, he sees Grace, the client who was supposed to be in Vancouver living with her sister who had supposedly left her husband. He sees Grace on this hiking trail with her husband in California. So he realizes in that moment that she was lying to him. And you could tell based on her reaction when she sees Jimmy seeing her with her husband, she tries to run. And basically, yeah, run away from Jimmy. Yeah. And then we see Jimmy just be like, oh, no. He realizes she's been lying this whole time, being blended with that people-pleasing part, (laughs) trying to please him. So, yeah. So that's how episode three ends. And then we go into episode four. So with episode four, it starts with Jimmy leaving a voicemail to his client Grace's phone that he's wanting to speak with her. I think it's clear that like he's maybe emailed her, texted her, called her a bunch of times and she's ghosting him. She's not responding to him. I'm assuming because maybe she's activated with parts within her that maybe feel embarrassed or feel ashamed. Yeah. So she's wanting to avoid talking to him now that he knows. I want to ask you what, if you catch a client in a lie unintentionally, what do you do? Like, like you see them out in public, I don't know, mm-hmm. drinking, and they said that they're sober, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess, right, it might be like, well, first I would check and see, like, what parts of me are getting activated, right? Like, is there a part of me that feels angry? Is there a part of me that feels frustrated? Or, I don't know, any of those things, right? And then that would be my responsibility to turn towards those parts within me that are getting activated before I speak to the client, right? Because it's like, I don't want to be blended with that energy. Yeah. And then like say something to them that could be hurtful, you know, and and not helpful to the client, right? 
So I would first take a check and what was getting activated within me, address that, get some space, have some clarity and calm, and then maybe approach that with the client in session in a way that, again, that made sense also based on rapport. Right. 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 And so I don't know. I think it depends on what I like say, like I saw you, you know, doing this thing. I don't know if I would say that again. I think I would maybe first address it of like, I'm just wondering, I just want to check in. Are there any parts of you that feel conflicted about drinking, you know, or feel, are there any parts of you that have hesitancy to be honest with me? Are there any parts of you that have any fears or concerns about letting me know if you are drinking? You know? Okay. Cause so then kind of just toss out the line. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause that would be, that would be interesting, right? Yeah. If you see them out doing the thing that maybe they're saying that they're not and right. yeah. Navigating that. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is always like noticing what's getting activated within you first so that it's, you know, it's not coming from a part that's, yeah. Like you don't feeling, make it about you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not about me. Right. Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. So then we see Paul driving with Gabby again, singing to a song together, <laughs> having a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah, again, I think this is, this is a cool part of Paul that we get to see uh, him being silly and playful in this way with Gabby. And then they go to this like montage. Is that, am I using that word correctly? Where it's like a montage of scenes of Jimmy and Sean together. And they're like having a great time. They're like driving in the car, listening to music, laughing. And then they get to the office and it's like a slow motion walk. (laughs) And Jimmy's clearly like really proud of him. He's like patting Sean on the back. And then they walk into his office for a therapy session. Why do I not remember this scene? I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I might have been looking down at my phone at the time, but I watched this episode twice to prepare for today. <laughs> and you missed that one. I no. must have looked down both times because I don't, I, I remember them going, having that, um, session, but yeah. Well, uh, anyway, the, mon- <laughs> the, the first part doesn't really matter, but what I thought was hilarious was well, they get into Jimmy's office and Sean goes, why do we have to come to the office? Let's just talk at the house. And Jimmy says, because my notebook's here. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. And that made me laugh out loud because as a therapist, my therapy notebook, which is right next to me, it's always in my bag, is something that I feel like, yeah, it's like, well, I got to have my notebook. <laughs> yeah. Do you have that too? Like, do you, are you like a note taker therapist? Like, in 100%. Session? Okay. <laughs> so I am, I and I'm also... I guess I'm a little bit like Paul with my boundaries where I do my work where I do my work. And when I step Mm. out of where I do my work, I don't, it takes me a second to get back into that headspace. Yeah. So like to do, even though I, here I am working from home, uh, but I can't be on my couch Mm -hmm. or at my kitchen table. So yeah, I was, I'm following him with, with that of like, this this is where I do this. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. It's because it can feel weird to shift that. And I think during the pandemic and that shift of doing telehealth, it was a strange 
it was weird, right? It was exhausting. I mean, yeah. It was exhausting. And I think that's where, yeah, a lot of people were feeling burnout during the pandemic time when it was all telehealth or just the beginning of telehealth, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was like, we didn't know how to navigate it really. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, do I sit in the kitchen or do I go somewhere in a bedroom? Like, you know, so yeah, it was, it was just kind of weird. So I totally understand Jimmy being like, well, yes, let's go to my office for the session and my notebook is here. <laughs> and then that like is telling my parts we're in therapy now, you yeah. know? Yeah. But yeah, I just laughed at that because I know for me, yeah, personally, I've tried doing, I remember when, um, uh, Sarah, another therapist who we used to work with at the center, I remember her saying something. I don't know if it was to all of us as a group one time, or it was like one-on-one conversation, but we were talking about note-taking like during sessions. And I want to say it was Sarah that said like, oh, I don't, I don't write down anything, you know, during sessions. I just am present with the person. And I remember parts of me at the time were like, oh, cause I would take like, you know, all these notes. And, and so I remember I guess like challenging that within myself for a couple sessions while working at EKU. And I remember like not using any notes for a couple sessions. And I remember in the moment being like, okay, yeah, like this feels, this feels good. I can do this. But then I just realized, eh, I'm okay with taking notes. It actually, I think helps me stay. There's moments where yes, if I'm noticing like a note, my note taking part getting really activated where I feel like I'm not connecting fully with the client, then I'll like, okay, just put my pen down and just listen, you know? Yeah. But I'm definitely now friends with this note taking part and the role that it does play as a resource for me as a therapist, especially in IFS. I don't know about for you, but like in IFS, it's like I'm for the client, I'm acting as like their, their part keeper. So it's like, I'm, I'm mapping their parts, right? So like, as they're talking, I'm like, I'm like writing that all down, not everything that they're saying, but like just making sure that I keep track of their parts. Uh And I just, my memory, like I am not able to like, like have a session with someone and not write down anything and then like go write a note. Yeah. My memory is horrible. Yeah. So bad. So, but yeah, but it's yeah. the same goal either way, right? Like it's, the mm-hmm. goal is to stay present. Right. And either you do that by tracking, by being with the client or by writing it down. But I'm the, like, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted and this is mm-hmm. what helps me stay present is by yeah keeping notes. And right. my, yeah, I, I like the part keeper thing. The, the metaphor I stole from a, grad school or a professor in grad school was, was we just hold up a mirror for the Mm -hmm. clients, the clients, they, they bring in what they bring in and you just hold up a mirror and help them organize it. Mm -hmm. And that's what, sometimes that's what my notes are is this is what I heard you say. Right. My memory sometimes mid sentence poops out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I need my notes (laughs) uh, to hold up that mirror for them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's how I look at it too. Cause yeah, I'll have people, you know, come in and be like, Hey, like, I know you take good notes. Do you care if we review those? Cause I'd love to hear what parts maybe I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. And then that like helps me feel like that part feel validated of like, yes, <laughs> I am important in doing this job of taking these notes. That's cool. Yeah. So the notebook I really resonated with when Jimmy said that. 
So then we see Jimmy asking Sean if it would be okay in their session in that moment to go deeper into talking about his trauma. Because if you recall, Sean is a military veteran. I think he had done like multiple tours overseas. And yeah. And so Jimmy asks, can we go deeper in this? And we could see immediately where Sean had parts get activated that had a lot of worry about getting into that right now. And so he said, no, I don't want to go there yet. And in that moment, Jimmy respects that. And he says, yep, no pressure. We'll get there when we get there type thing. And I felt like, yeah, that was, that's what you do. That's what you do. Right. It's like, yeah, you, you meet the client where they're at. And if their system's not ready to go somewhere, then you respect that. Especially with trauma, where trauma is something that happened entirely out of your control. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a sense of control when you reprocess it. Right. It has to be at your own pace. Yeah. Otherwise it's, a, oh, there's more lack of control that I'm being forced into. It can be re-traumatizing. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I felt like that was really well done in that moment. Yeah. And then we see Jimmy back in the break room with Paul and Gabby, and he's consulting with them about his client, Sean. And the parts of him that seem kind of frustrated that Sean's not ready to get deeper yet in their work and him processing the trauma. And this is where Paul brings up the dual relationship issue, you know, or also known as multiple relationships, where basically that means where there are multiple roles that exist between a therapist and a client. And so like for Jimmy and Sean, their first relationship together was as therapist and client. And then where it became multiple relationships was when Jimmy then invited him to to live with him as like a friend. So that's that dual relationship, multiple relationship ethical issue in which we try and do our best as therapists to avoid, right? Yeah. Because sometimes it's not avoidable. I want to mention that like in the context of like, if you live in a small town right. or like you're within a very specific community group, Right then you could have a multiple role, multiple relationship or dual relationship type thing between therapist and client. Like, let's say, let's say there's only one therapist in the whole town because it's such a small town, right? Then that one therapist is going to be the therapist, but then they could also go to the same church as the person, or they may also be a basketball coach for the fifth graders and the client's son is on the, you know what I mean? So it's like, it can happen, but you just do your best, right? To like try and avoid it. Like I wouldn't agree to become a therapist of a friend of mine. Right. Or a family member or yeah. a colleague. I, I do. Uh, if they're partners or roommates, it's usually like, if I can, it's a hard no. Or if, or if it's a friend that they're going to be talking about because then what they're going to be doing is saying something about them and then trying to read my face. Mm -hmm. And that gets in the way of trust of. Yeah. And that's where it gets hard sometimes. Right. Because again, if there's like one specialist in the area, then that specialist might be seeing multiple people that know each other. Right. And it, I think it also comes down to like, making sure that as the therapist, you're not having a dual role for the client, right? So it's like, right. you are their therapist, but you also probably shouldn't be 
their basketball coach at the same right. time. Right. And you probably shouldn't be their friend. Well, you're not allowed to right. be their friend. <laughs> you know, or do we have to put boundaries on what's the, the issue that we're going to be discussing? Um, right. Like, because with uh, sport and performance psychology, if I'm working with two people on the same team, we're going to be pretty intentional with just performance mm-hmm. rather than mental health. Um, if it seems like mental health is the thing that makes more sense than performance, then we can shift it. If it's not like those, th- those, cause usually if it's two people on the same team, they know, you know, but yeah, setting up boundaries of who you do work with, who you don't work with. And then the, the topics that you talk about in session even. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Paul, you know, he's bringing up dual relationship in regards to Jimmy and Sean, because now they're in dual relationships. They are living together and then they're also therapist and client. And so then Paul's like, I think this is probably the reason why maybe parts of Sean are not willing to start opening up to you, Jimmy, you know, because these boundaries have been blurred. Now you're not just this therapist. It's confusing now. Right. Yeah. Reason 372 <laughs> to not cross those boundaries. To not cross those boundaries, right? <laughs> so then we see Brian in Paul's office, and we realize that Brian is Paul's lawyer, <laughs> and that he's, <laughs> again, a lot of enmeshment, right? Yeah. Lots of, yeah. <laughs> and just showing up. Like, that's another And thing. just showing up, right? <laughs> yeah. What was that one scene? Was that in the first two episodes? where Brian just barged into Jimmy's office during a session. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not appropriate. Right. Right. Um, But he's like needing Paul to like sign some paperwork for his estate planning. He's needing Paul to have his daughter sign some paperwork over. And then this is where we see that Paul actually hasn't told his daughter about his Parkinson's diagnosis. So to me, that kind of shows me that, you know, Paul maybe has parts of him that are, Maybe afraid and and saying that truth out loud to his daughter. Yeah, at least not while there's know. no music on. If there's music, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's got those firm boundaries all yeah. over the place. So then we get to a scene where we see Jimmy going into a client's apartment. <laughs> Like you so, do, you know. Like you do, right? <laughs> I mean, all the time. Maybe in some situations, you know, for therapy, you do. But uh, this instance, I don't know. It just... So, yeah, we see Jimmy walking into a client's apartment. And this particular client, you can see that, that they have parts of them that are very anxious about germs, about contamination. They're wanting Jimmy to take off their shoes. They take off their shoes and then Jimmy's like, all right, I'm going to go sit on your couch in my dirty jeans, as he says, you know, and you can tell that the client is very flustered about that. They're like, I don't know. I, 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 let's put our clothes in the wash, you know, type thing. And he's like, I'm going to sit down now. <laughs> so he sits on the couch. He invites the client to sit next to him. And this client's name, I believe is Wally. Uh, and so Jimmy sits on the couch with them, the client, and invites the client to sit with him on the couch. And, 
you know, he starts sharing with the client, you know, that they're incredible and that they can do anything, you know, really <laughs> praising the client for uh-huh. being willing to like be sitting on the couch with him and his dirty jeans. And then the client leans in and kisses him. And then Jimmy's like, oh, you know, <laughs> gets up, you know, removes himself from the situation. Right. Another but point then, for clear boundaries. <laughs> clear boundaries, but then sits back down. Okay. Sits back down. And again, I think is like reassuring the client, like, no, that's, that's all right. Like, and then the client kisses him again, tries to kiss him again. And it, the whole situation is very awkward, mm-hmm. super awkward. And he is, you can tell that the client is feeling embarrassed, maybe, you know, ashamed. And so he leaves, he walks out. <laughs> He's still barefoot, by the way. I and- keep thinking about what, <laughs> how he has the time. To like oh, a sessions go yes. by so fast. 50 minutes is not long. Exactly. That's and exactly right. he has the right. time to just show up and then go about his day, I guess, see right. more clients. I think I maybe mentioned that in that first episode because I was like, same thing. I was like, there's no way that he has enough time to do all these things. You yeah. know, like he's going with Sean to like the boxing ring. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, to get coffee. To get coffee and to go to their apartment. I'm like, okay, how are you scheduling this? Because you have 50 minutes traditionally, right. you know, with a and client. It flies. It goes it by. Flies by. Fast. Right. So, yes, totally. That is definitely something that I was like, this isn't making any sense. <laughs> um, but Jimmy is clearly uncomfortable. He runs out of the apartment shoeless and yells the F word super loud. <laughs> Or this person obviously hears it and then comes outside <laughs> and hands him his shoes. Very awkward moment. Uh-huh. Very awkward. And so then Jimmy puts his shoes on and walks away. And you can tell he feels defeated. Like he's just like, oh my gosh, that went horribly. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so starts to crumble. Yes. Yep. So then we see Alice hanging out with Gabby. They're at the house. And you can tell that Alice feels comfortable with Gabby because as we know now, Gabby has been friends within the family for, I'm assuming a while, because we know now that she was good friends with Alice's mom. And Alice shares with Gabby that she actually lost her virginity to the neighbor's son. So Liz's son, Connor, before he left for college. And so they're talking about that and you can tell that, yeah, she feels comfortable with Gabby, like I said. And then they kind of do a cutaway scene back to the office where Jimmy is now meeting Meg, who's Paul's daughter. So we see that. Then they cut back to Jimmy's house where it's Alice and Gabby talking. And then Jimmy's now home and Gabby encourages Alice to share with Jimmy how she lost her virginity with Connor and (laughs) you can just see Jimmy is so conflicted with him. Yeah. So conflicted, right? Like he has like a part of him. That's like, I want to be the cool dad. That's just like, so cool with this, you know, like, (laughs) this is for a good example with, with acceptance and commitment Mm. where I like, I'm a big, I love emotions. I Mm -hmm. I think, they they're good <laughs> they're like yes <laughs> they mean something there it's your body trying to tell you something that you can uh they have a location all that stuff and there's a time and a place for mm-hmm. to listen to them 
And when pain is present, like like here, where he's getting told this news that he doesn't want to hear, he's having emotions that he's not allowed to respond to. Mm. And so that's where with ACT, it's instead of we aren't avoiding, we're aligning with our values. How do we want to show up in a situation like this? If I was mm. to step outside myself or if somebody was to give a speech about me and say, you know, Nick, I, I always admired the way that you showed up with your daughter when she would give like information you weren't comfortable with. You were always warm. Okay. What does warm look like? And then, and then even though all those emotions are coming up with Jimmy, it's all right, but warm looks like a soft look on my face. It looks like a relaxed posture. It looks like all these yeah. different things just in that moment, because you want to show up for your daughter and mm-hmm. um, be the dad that you're proud of at least. Yeah. Um, so I see him kind of doing that. <laughs> like right. Putting on a mask. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm just, totally cool with this. Yeah, I'm fine. When, when clearly there are parts of him that are not. For sure. He is pissed yeah. and uncomfortable. And so, yeah, then we see him, <laughs> we see him be, yeah, very blended with, I think, various parts, right? Like there's anger, there's just, a whole bunch of things and he runs into Liz because they're neighbors and he basically well he tells her what happened between you know their two kids and that he's extremely angry and that you know he he goes off on Liz basically and just says you know get a life stay out of ours I'm just so mad I'm so mad <laughs> and he storms off but he really hurts Liz's feelings I mean he he was Speaking, also, you know, <laughs> the guy with no boundaries is mad at Liz's boundaries. Good you know? point, right? Oh, yes, very good point. Absolutely, right? Ironic. <laughs> um, so then we see Paul with his daughter Meg. They're back at the like now we're back at the office, and I feel like we're seeing that they're not very close. That maybe Paul's been pretty distant, and he lies to his daughter again about his health. But he also shares with her that he'd like to see her and his grandson more. But I got the sense that, you know, based on Meg's response, that she had parts of her that were very not really believing that. Like she yeah. was kind of like, okay, yeah, we'll yeah. see. You know, you know what? So my whole conspiracy of Paul with music thing, mm. I think this was the scene where she asked about the woman he was dating. And he was like, she wanted me to go to Burning Man. Yeah. And I'm just like, wait, what? what? She wanted him to be at like a festival that has music. Uh. And maybe he didn't want to like feel those emotions. I don't know. I was connected yeah. to that. Oh, that's interesting. But... Yeah. I like where you're going with this. And it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on if there's, yeah, more in connection to him and yeah. music. That's interesting. Then we see Jimmy jumping on his trampoline. In his backyard, which parts of me really loved because I love trampolines. I think, (laughs) I think jumping on a train and they've done studies about this, like jumping on a trampoline helps flush out your system, like your lymphatic system. Really? Yeah. Because you're moving your fluids, you're getting things moving. Uh, They've even done studies where they've had kids jump on trampolines during therapy sessions huh. and that that actually helps them open up more 
and have more of a sense of safety. And so I loved this scene, but I will say though, as Jimmy's jumping on the trampoline, he's extremely blended with his rage. (laughs) He is very angry and frustrated. And then Sean comes in the backyard and (laughs) this is where Jimmy basically tries to force Sean into sharing about his trauma. Horrible moment. Horrible. Like horrible moment. And he and he says to Sean, I need a win today. Uh, yeah. I need a win today. Please open up to me about your trauma. Right. And, oh gosh. And Sean says F you and walks away. Rightfully so. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I <laughs> love the trampoline. Thinks it's totally I know that it's totally helpful, but But I'm glad he called it out. Like you're this is all about him. This is all about Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I need this. You need to open up to me because I need it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So then we see Gabby. She's there at Jimmy's house and she actually overheard Jimmy kind of go off on Liz, the neighbor. So Gabby goes next door, talks to Liz, uh, basically is comforting her. And she offers, Hey, you want to hang out tonight and have some drinks together? And Liz is like, sure. So then we see Connor, Liz's son, come home from college. And I guess there's a scene where I guess Connor's in the hot tub in the backyard, just relaxing. And then we see Jimmy bouncing on the trampoline still. And there's a fence, right? That like separates their two properties. And Jimmy's just (laughs) bouncing on this trampoline and staring (laughs) Connor down. Uh-huh. As he's relaxing in the hot tub. And then he says with every jump up, he's like, I know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Making it very uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah. that's when he, was that when he pulled out his phone? Yes. Uh, I, every time there's that text, uh, like if somebody shows your a phone on TV, I have to pause. I have to stand up and I have to walk up to my TV and read what it says because my eyesight is so bad. <laughs> but I had to do that. And it was yeah. just no response, I think, from uh, Alice, right? Alice, yeah. Like Connor was yeah, texting with Alice, basically seeing if she wanted to hang out. And she's like ghosting him, you know. Um, so then Jimmy apologizes, ends up coming over and apologizing to Liz. And really actually thanking her for, you know, what she's done for him and for Alice during the time, you know, the past year and a half or so. And then we get to see Gabby and Liz expressing their concern to Jimmy about Alice and Sean and about them maybe flirting together, maybe eventually hooking up, you know, and this is clearly activating Jimmy. He's feels very uncomfortable with this idea. He doesn't believe that maybe Alice would do that, you know, or something in in that realm. So he gets uncomfortable and kind of angry and walks off. And then he goes into the pool house, which is where we see Sean is staying. And Sean's, you know, just hanging out, uh, watching, I think, a baseball game. And Jimmy apologizes for basically trying to make Sean talk about his trauma earlier. And I like what Sean shared here, where he said something like, you know, a part of him has felt guilty for not getting better because his parents, his parents were making him feel guilty for that. Right. And then he was saying, I think like he hadn't felt that until that day again, 
Like when Jimmy said that to him of like, I need a win today. You need to start opening up to me about this. Yeah. Which that's what, like, that's what therapy is, is coming to somebody without any judgment. Right. And he's, that's what he was valuing. And then there was judgment. Right. And so, yeah, I I thought that was a beautiful moment of, you know, Sean opening up to Jimmy and being like, you shamed me basically. (laughs) And then a part of me is feeling shamed feeling guilty about the fact that I'm not ready yet, you know, to talk about this stuff. But Jimmy apologizes again and he asks if he can stay and hang out with Sean to watch the game. And then we see Alice kind of walking up to the pool house, looking into the open door and Sean's asleep on the couch. And she says out loud something like, God, you're beautiful towards Sean. He doesn't hear her because he's sleeping. But in that moment, then we see Jimmy. She didn't realize that her dad was also laying on the other couch. And we see him like rise up and his eyes are huge. And he's just like, oh, no, <laughs> they were right you know, uh-huh. about their concerns about Alice and Sean maybe being into each other. So and then that's where episode four ends. Yeah, the one part that I wanted to call out was there's a scene with connor liz's son yeah he has a hoodie on it's uh-huh. a pink hoodie if anybody listening to this knows where to get that hoodie nick rogel at wellness and therapy.com please i have googled it because it's it's <laughs> like a really cool looking hoodie it's pink and it has a gray hood <laughs> like i googled <laughs> pink champion hoodie can't find it oh huh, um, interesting yeah so if anyone out there. there knows where so it's a champion brand <laughs> i think so yep. yeah yeah, well, it's got to be out there somewhere. I mean, he was wearing it, so <laughs> you will Not find important it. important <laughs> to any of the story, but just thought I'd take this Throwing that out there. Yeah, <laughs> anyone knows where to find that champion hoodie, let Nick know. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, yeah, so that was a lot of interesting stuff, right? Like kind of going in and out through these two episodes of the show shrinking. And it's been fun, like, sitting here with you and... Yeah, getting your perspective on it. And yeah, like you notice things that I didn't notice, which is really cool. But yeah, it's just cool to get that perspective. Also, why consultation is always good. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you only have one perspective. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So yeah, thank you so much, Nick, for hanging with me and yeah, combing through these two episodes. And yeah, I'm looking for forward. Me. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to interviewing with you more in depth about you and your practice and your specialties later on this month. Me too. And I'm looking forward to hearing more episodes as you you put them out. They've been really good. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, everyone. I will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.